Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a very unique episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We have no theme for this show, which usually I have a theme. I have a, I have a whole series for these podcasts, but today we have no theme except for, I'm calling this Pub Chats. It's pub so, chat. I'm playing Pokemon outside of the pub, though. Yeah. Kicked us out. <laughs> we were calling this Pub Chats, but we got kicked out of the pub because they closed. What kind of pub closes at 9.30? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm here with Adam Grumbo. Adam Grumbo is a... Um, I would call him a wedding filmmaker, um, but he is he is that, but he's also just a cinematographer in general. Um, he's doing some really amazing work here in Austin, Texas, and um, around this half of the world anyways. And so I'm really excited that we have Adam on today, and we're just, we're just going to kind of be hanging out here and chatting and talking about making wedding videos and videos in general, and who knows what else we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, Adam. Thanks, Jordan. Um, yeah, I, I love it here in Austin. It's fantastic. There's a lot of really great community of videographers, photographers, and just creatives in general. And, uh, being able to come out and talk about what we all love is something that I truly enjoy. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, uh, I'm also playing Pokemon Go because it's <laughs> the hot spot for Pokemon Go here in Round Rock, Texas. This is apparently the hot spot. We walked out of this um, this little bar, and um, <laughs> I looked across the street to a group of about 10 uh, middle-aged <laughs> folks across the street, and Adam says, oh, they're all playing Pokemon Go, and I thought he was joking. But we walked across the street, and I looked at their phones, and they were indeed playing Pokemon Go. Yeah. And uh, if I look at Adam's phone now, it looks like he's playing as well, so... I, I appreciate your attention to detail here, Adam. <laughs> I never get a chance to play this Pokemon stuff anymore because I'm too busy working. Well, so I'm going to take this opportunity to catch this um, what new you, Pokemon that I've never seen before. What are you catching? <laughs> what is what is the, you're catching them all? But which one? It's yeah. a wild Slugma. Okay. Well, <laughs> thankfully, I never got into Pokemon, uh, but uh, yeah. So, Adam. Just give me like a brief overview for someone who doesn't know who you are. Tell me kind of what you're up to in life right now. Yeah, so I'm Adam Grumbo. I run Adam Grumbo Films here in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm a videographer and uh, a videographer who tries to make the absolute best quality wedding video with what I've got every single time. Uh, we really put a lot of effort into trying to tell a good story and making it look cinematic and um Really trying to be good at what we do. I, th I think we do a pretty good job. Um, weddings in Austin are fantastic. They're very country. Um, a lot of rustic looks. Uh, I definitely prefer to shoot outside of downtown to yeah. allow us to show off the beautiful vistas and uh, the nature that's around Austin. Because for those who haven't been to Texas, Austin's kind of like an island of beauty in a desert. It is. I've, I mean, I've had people who have made Austin their destination wedding. Absolutely. And um, apparently the wedding capital of Texas is located in Dripping Springs. And most of my efforts get put into trying to shoot weddings out there. 
because yeah. uh, I do enjoy Dripping Springs. There's For hills. Sure. It's outside of the city, so we get beautiful stars. And um, I know I love living here. It's great. It is great. Yeah, for sure. And Dripping Springs is amazing for sure. Like I said, I've I've actually shot weddings from couples. I had one couple from North Carolina uh, who came here. I had another couple. They were from Manhattan, and it was pretty weird. Actually, it was at the Driscoll Hotel, which is um, it's a historic hotel downtown. Um, but they were from Manhattan. And all their family was either from New York or from California. There was not a single person at their wedding from the middle of the country. Everyone was from New York or California. And they came to Austin, Texas, which really blew my mind. I mean, I just, you know, I knew they were from New York, but I didn't anticipate that when I got to their wedding to film their wedding. But so that was one of my few destination weddings. Well, they came here for the barbecue. I got to travel all the way downtown. The barbecue and the Tex-Mex food here in Austin is pretty unbeatable. It really is. My brother, who lived in New York for a while, he took me to this uh, really amazing Mexican food place that's right off of Union Union Square. It was not amazing. I'm telling you, like, at one point, we actually, my wife and I, thought we were going to move to Denver, Colorado. Uh, which is apparently where a lot of uh, wedding videographers go to die. Every, we were... <laughs> everybody from Texas moves to Colorado. Yeah. Uh, as a Coloradan, that is what happens. We were joking about that while we were having our drinks in the pub. That, that's where wedding, wedding videographers go to die. So if you're in Denver, I apologize. <laughs> but we were joking about that. Yeah. Um, uh, they don't take wedding videography as, as seriously as, uh, as they do here in Austin. Yeah. Thankfully, we are in a really good market. And, you know, that's one of the cool things I've been talking to people from other markets um, is, sorry, Siri started, Siri thought that I was well, Let me preface what I just said. The, the wedding industry as a whole doesn't take wedding videography as seriously as they should. There are some great cinematographers up there for sure. That's, yeah, that's true. And I think that's, thankfully, I think that's becoming less true. You know, as the years go on here, I think that as people see really great stuff, they realize that, hey, there is some value in hiring someone who's really excellent at this. Absolutely. But people who kind of fall in that middle ground, well, to be honest, like, sometimes there's not, depending on your market, sometimes there's not a whole lot of middle ground between stuff that's really good and stuff that needs a lot of work, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a man. If you if you ever have a chance to shoot a wedding up in Colorado on the Front Range or in the mountains, man, it's a it's an experience to behold. It's fantastic to do, especially in the fall when the leaves are changing. Well, I've seen some of your work. I, I'm I'm thinking of one in particular because you said when the leaves are changing. Uh, I don't know who the couple was in this particular film, but the leaves were super yellow, and you know you were. Um, it was a uh, it was a mountainside wedding. Um, one of your films that I saw, Adam, and I mean, just gorgeous. Tell me, like, are you marketing yourself in Colorado, or are you like, how did you get that job? Because you live here in Austin. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I graduated from the University of Colorado in Colorado Springs back in okay. 2006, so uh, I lived in Colorado for a long time, gotcha. and then I moved down to Texas. So kind of doing the opposite. Usually, Californians in Texas all move to Colorado, but uh, I came down here to Austin. And so uh, I like 
I like the chance to go back and shoot some weddings in Colorado whenever possible. Is there anywhere between four and six wedding videos a year are done back in Colorado? Okay. The nice. video you're talking about was in Aspen. <clears throat> it's and gorgeous. It just happened to be when all the leaves were changing. You know, yeah. it's only a two or three or four week period where the leaves are changing depending on your altitude. Yeah. And uh, man, did I have a fun time just running around, <laughs> mouth agape, and uh, just shooting all, all the stuff. Because for those people who have never been to Austin, there there are two seasons. <clears throat> the two seasons are a uh, hundred degrees, <laughs> and everything's dead. But uh, there's not any real season. <laughs> You know, we we are in a unique year right now, though, because we're sitting outside here, and it's like 65 degrees outside. So yeah, normally we would be molested by tens of thousands of crickets or cockroaches or yeah. something by this time. But no, Austin doesn't have the type of trees that really transition through the yellow, gold, red Not many into them, falling. Yeah, that It sure. goes from bright green, and then they turn brown and fall. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad for people with allergies, but to be able to get a chance to um, go to a place that has a proper autumn, man, that is a delight for a videographer. Yeah, for sure. Well, that was stunning. And some of the, I mean, the work that you did in general there was fantastic, but particularly I'm thinking of, like I have in my head seared deep into my memory is a few drone shots that you did there that were just like, you know, your jaw drops. Yeah, I mean, that was the best drone footage I got at that particular time. Uh, I had the Inspire one, uh, carrying the regular X3 camera. The X5 camera hadn't come out yet, so I was pushing that thing to the max. Um, and Aspen Mountain is where that wedding took place. And Aspen Mountain, as it turns out, is in the direct path of the airport that's in Aspen. And this wedding was shot before the FAA started making regulations and stuff that we have to abide by now. Um, so the best we could do is call the control tower and uh, say that we were doing a couple shots up there at the top of the mountain um, during the wedding. Matter of fact, there was a plane that was in the air at the time, and <laughs> so we immediately had to be grounded. But uh, the elevation up there is 11,000 feet. Yeah. So the poor drone was firing off every warning that it could possibly do motors wow, maximum man. capacity high altitude wow battery is at the high <laughs> the voltage is dropping I didn't but think we were about able that, to get the shots altitude, yeah yeah well apparently you can buy some high altitude props for the inspire okay. you know they didn't exist at the time but it's huh. basically max capacity with the voltage max capacity with the motors uh but we were able to get some good shots and brought it back home safely uh, to crash on another day. So <laughs> glad I got what we needed. Uh, who out there hasn't crashed their drone? I've got some stories. What's your best drone crash story? Man, I tell you what. So uh, we we took the drone a couple of years ago. You know, this is when drones really weren't a thing yet. Uh, so I was flying uh, Inspire 2 with the uh, H3 3D gimbal, which was brand spanking new at the time. Uh you know, you had to solder on your own video transmission system to be able to see what you were doing. But uh, put a GoPro Hero 4 Black on that thing. Oh, yeah. man, it gets some great footage. Yeah. Flew that thing around for a week in the Dominican Republic. Mm. And then uh, the day after I got back from Austin, smacked that puppy right into the clock tower or the bell tower at uh, 
at Camp Lucy. You smashed the UT Bell Tower? No, 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 not at UT, at Camp Lucy. Oh, so okay. I was able to collect the pieces and sweep them into a pile before anybody noticed. That's good. But it's amazing that it uh, flew over mountains and oceans and things like that. And then uh, <laughs> just, I can't judge distance and popped it right uh, into the side of the tower. I, I mean, made a, it was going slow, but... <laughs> yeah, I made a mistake of flying it downtown. I was doing this corporate shoot for this massive conference that was going on. It was like a... Don't fly drones downtown. Yeah. Too much building interference. I know. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Uh, but not only was there building interference, but there was like a tiny, tiny drizzle, you know. Oh. And so it was the perfect storm, and I was a complete idiot for flying it there. Thankfully, I still got the footage I wanted. <laughs> but uh, as I was... I noticed it in the air. So it was like hovering in the air. I may have told the story on the podcast. If I have, I apologize. But it starts like jittering back and forth. It yeah. Like, you know, it scoots left and scoots right really quick. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, There's gust downtown for sure. That's not good. <laughs> uh, and so I start bringing it down slowly. You know, cause I'm like, okay, I don't like the way it's acting up there. I'm going to bring it down. Well, uh, they have like these temporary fences up because this was a huge conference. This is like a 20,000 person conference that was going on there. Thankfully, everybody, for the most part, was inside except for some staff and that kind of thing. This is a big software conference. But they had these temporary fences up. So I start bringing it down. And as I'm bringing it down, I'm bringing it straight down with the controls, but it starts going forward. And I'm like, okay, that's not good. So I start pulling backwards to try to balance it out, right? It listens to me a little bit, you know, but it keeps going forward. So I get, I'm like, all right, I got to get this thing down as fast as possible now. You know, the rain starts picking up a little bit. So I start bringing it down. And by about the time I get to fence level, it shoots forward <laughs> right into this fence. <laughs> Massive crash, flips upside down. The blades are spinning on the ground like crazy. <laughs> at this point, I've got like a decent sized crowd watching this, you know, laughing at me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> That's not good. So, like, I had to go, and there was no way, because it was upside down, there was no way to shut it down. You know, you normally you shut it down, like, once it lands, and it feels that, like, okay, it's on the ground. So, you that. just grab a log and so you smash it. <laughs> I, gra- <laughs> I grabbed it and uh, pulled the battery out <laughs> while the blades are spinning. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was kind of a disaster, but that's my... That's my drone story. I oh. still have that drone, and it, I'm scared to like put it up in the air again. I need to send it back to somebody because there are people who fix these things. No, DJI is fantastic about fixing drones. So I had the Inspire One Raw with the X5 camera. Nice. And that thing's like six thousand six sixty five hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah. And I was flying it downtown. This is before <laughs> the rules too, and uh, I was literally a block and a half away from where i launched it and it lost signal because Uh of the building interference yeah for sure and uh, i didn't know that okay it's got like a five mile range on the thing but a block and a half away it loses signal yeah and dji has this fantastic feature that when it loses signal it goes as fast as it possibly can straight towards where you launched it yeah with with no regard to whatever is in the way (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it uh, absolutely kamikaze itself <laughs> right into uh, which building an was observation it? deck. Uh, observation I'm not going to tell you okay. which building. Okay. They probably Fair remember enough. me. I mean, yeah, we don't want I this, had to bribe a security guard to get <laughs> drone back. Yeah, um, that's fair enough. But, yeah, okay, so $7,000 drone, 
I uh, I sweeped it into a dustpan, poured it into a box, and <laughs> sent it to DJI. And they fixed that baby for nine grand. And for nine, wait, or for nine hundred bucks. I was about to say it normally cost sixty five hundred. <laughs> so for nine hundred bucks, they fixed the thing, and they had to replace like sixty five different parts. Um, little did I know, this was because they were just about to announce the new versions of the drones, which had get obstacle this avoidance, obstacle right? avoidance yes. and. If it loses signal, it returns home on the same path it came, as opposed to going directly back to the home base. Yeah. So that, that would have saved a, nice a lot feature. of money. That is so a nice feature. Instantly sold the repaired version of the drone, which was obviously a complete brand new one. In favor of the Phantom 4 Pro, which I think, man, that thing is a fantastic it's drone. so good. I love that baby. I love that thing, too. It has man. saved me from crashing, because now... Um, in the Dominican, I can fly that thing more aggressively. Right. Uh, not in populated areas, but in areas where there's dense trees, things of that nature. Yeah, man, it's also uh, gorgeous without, footage you had of like this whole, some kind of, I don't know, some kind of weird lagoon where sure. there was like this massive hole and you flew up and out of it. Did you hit anything then? Yeah, so um, one time in 2014, I got a destination wedding to shoot down there. And... Um, you know, we don't waste any time down there. We were sleeping four hours a night, getting up at sunrise, staying up well past sunset to shoot some star lapses, exploring, getting as much stuff as possible. Yeah. And turning those into little YouTube or Instagram videos, completely unrelated to the wedding. Um, so that footage was from that wedding in 2014? Well, I've been back to the Dominican. I know you you've know, been back several times. Ten or so times, times yeah. by then. And every time I go, I want to make sure I get more, more, more footage. Yeah. And then I just blanket YouTubes with yeah. all the footage of this wonderful island. Um, it is. Fit. That's and, where I did my honeymoon, by the way. Oh, really? And, and in people, Punta Cana, yeah. Oh, I was just in Punta Cana. Yeah. And people watch this footage. So uh, recently, a producer for the Travel Channel watched some of the footage, and he hired me to go down there for awesome. um, you know, almost two weeks just to shoot you know, people... Uh, and that's how it happened? Like, he saw your footage on YouTube? Oh, and that's yeah. that's how he went out? Yeah. yeah that, that wasn't, I knew you did something for the travel channel. It was not right? an accident. It was on purpose. Sure, I was like, yeah. man, this island is fantastic. Tag the mess I want to shoot here more. Yeah. I am going to shoot as much footage as possible. It's such a good island. And then get it up online. Yeah. And uh, it leads to good things, you know? Um, yeah. Setting goals for yourself and uh, working towards those goals is the perfect way to... Uh, Realize your dreams. Yeah. Don't just do stuff and change your mind and go a different direction and then go a different direction and go different. That's Figure out what you want you. and like, work towards it. I see you. We have like a local wedding videographers group here in Austin. And like from time to time, I'll see you post something that's like, you know, hey, what's your goals for this year? You know, just like inspiring people to either A, just like post your goals or B, like think about do you have goals for this year and what are they? You know, because... It's those things that push people forward, that push the industry forward in general, but also just, like, inspire others to be better than they are now. So I always appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, goals are important. If you haven't studied goal programs, one of my favorite people is Brian Tracy. He talks nonstop about goals. Um, You know, goals will make you seven, ten times as much money as a person without written goals. Wow. And that's that's no accident either because if you are – dropped off in the middle of nowhere with a map you're not going to be able to get anywhere because you don't know where you are right so you have to know where you are and where you want to go 
and utilize that map to get you there. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's great. Advice. Man, good things have happened. Good things have happened. Yeah, and uh, never stop shooting stuff just for fun. Experiment. Uh, the one of the first great trips I got to go on was in 2014. You know, um, me and me and my friend Ash would get into a car and we'd do time lapses on a driving car yeah. with motion rigs with Kessler gear <laughs> where the camera would be moving around on the outside of a car driving at outside? 80 miles per hour. <laughs> Holy cow, <laughs> So dude. it's dangerous. Well, this camera gear is meant to be used. Yeah. <laughs> I used uh, 12 different suction cups to keep it attached. Well, that's good. Uh, Makes me feel better about your decision. An agency in Amsterdam saw that footage just put online for fun. Yeah. And they said, I want to pay you this amount of money to travel to these 13 different countries and shoot time lapses on our new car that we're going to launch. Wow. And I was like, well, thank God I didn't book all those low budget weddings that I wanted to book. (laughs) My entire spring was open for me to travel the world, stay in the most expensive hotels you can think of and eat the best food you ever have. Yeah. All because of a passion project that I did just for fun to see if it would work. Mm. Do those passion projects. They're important. That's really good advice. And advice that, like, I need to take myself, you know, because, like, I have have certain, like, I mean, I love making wedding films. Like, it really is my, it's... It's, it's one of the things I enjoy most about life is making wedding films. But I also have I have other things I'm passionate about that I would love to, like, tell certain stories. Like, I just need to get out there and do those stories because, you know, good work begets more good work. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's a great example of you did something that was completely outside the box. It's just like, hey, this would be kind of cool if I did something that, you know. You strap a motion rig to the outside of a 90-mile-per-hour <laughs> yeah. car. That's unique. Exactly. And so it's like, you know, you did that. You got the attention of someone on the other side of the world because of the amazing thing that is YouTube. The stories and, I can tell you about that. And that got you to, you know, this this dream job of a lifetime. Life-changing you know? job. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Nothing that I could, you know, and once you travel... And you get uh, you get to see other cultures. What is it like outside of the United States? The United States right now is it's very uh, polarized politically. Sure. And we're not going to get into a political discussion. But being able to see what other people in different parts of the world, third world countries, affluent countries, how they live, how they treat each other, um, and what they do to survive, man, it changes your perspective. Yeah. You come back with a totally different perspective. I believe um, that. Seeing for what sure. other people do, you have to travel to appreciate um, how great this country is, even though it has plenty of flaws. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I grew up in a church environment where people were going on mission trips and that kind of thing. And, you know, one of the interesting things about that was it was, you know, they, they went there so that they could do something good. And they did something good. You know, I'm not discounting that. But, the feedback I would, would always hear from these people is that the life change that they had mm-hmm. through this experience of serving other people, but like seeing these other cultures. Sure. And so like it was, they called it a mission trip, but for me, like, you know, kind of, you know, looking at it from the outside, it's more like that was a transformational trip for that individual, probably more so than it was good for whoever was there. I mean, it sure is probably it's good really. for whoever was there, but it's probably more transformational for the people who went Absolutely. And kind of giving them a broader perspective 
on life. So, yeah, that's cool. It certainly changes your opinion of what other people say in certain circumstances when they say things should be a different way or things are bad like this. And when you see how other people live, um, man, what was it? I was listening to a Zig Ziglar tape. Zig Ziglar is also one of my favorite um, people to listen to. Yeah. It just makes you feel good about yourself. <laughs> he does, for sure. Uh, and one of the things they talk about, him and Brian Tracy also relay this story. If you compare, if everybody in the world could take their problems and put them into a pile, and you compared it to everybody else in the world who put their problems into a pile, you would walk away shamefacedly into the night. Because of wow. how small your problems are versus everybody else. Yeah. And you wow. don't see that until you get to experience other cultures and see what other people have. I mean, people making five and ten dollars a month are the happiest people you've ever met. Yeah. They're so grateful for what they have. They're not caught up in all these trivial things or cell phones or social media. They yeah. just enjoy their life and they enjoy their family. And, uh, Seeing some of that stuff helps to re reground yourself a little bit, and that's Absolutely. that's kind of what gets me addicted to uh, going to see what other cultures are like. Yeah, for sure. And having somebody else pay for it—that's kind of <laughs> the best part of it all. Matter Absolutely. Fact, uh, uh, in about two weeks, I'm going back to Switzerland. Nice. Just—it's uh, for work. It's being paid for, so all the travels paid for, all the work's paid for, and uh, that's all done. Based off of the wedding video business that I started seven years ago. That's awesome. And uh, you probably have talked about why, what got you started in the wedding business. Sure. I, I think it did on the first podcast. Yeah. How I got started in the wedding business is uh, back in 2010, um, I was working for a great company called McLean Advanced Technologies, which is up in Temple, Texas, uh, with government contracts developing software. Uh, I was a graphic designer and helping design a system that would in turn help other people. Um, The contract went over budget and they ended up laying everybody off. Mm. And uh, I decided to try to apply for a few different jobs. I set a deadline for myself saying if I don't have this job paying this amount of money by this date, I'm going to start working for myself. And when I did... um, I just happened to get into some wedding videography. And the first videographer I ever started to work with is now one of the best in the industry, Mackenzie Miller and Mackenzie Miller Films, who is yeah. up in Brooklyn. Man, she's, she makes great films. Awesome. But she allowed me to be her second shooter. And uh, I really enjoy weddings. I mean, weddings are fantastic. Being able to spend the time with people who look their best, um, who are the happiest, yeah. maybe that... Maybe that they are in their entire lives. Right. Eat the best food in the most beautiful locations. Right. And get paid to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. If you are. You got if, the whole scene set for us and everything. Like, you know, it's kind of like a. Man, it's, it is awesome. If I you don't it. enjoy shooting weddings, you're looking at it in the wrong fashion. Yeah. Because sure. uh, it's truly a privilege to be able to shoot and witness that type of uh, human emotion. It should yeah. inspire you at every wedding you go to. Absolutely. And uh, regardless of if you work with a pain-in-the-butt coordinator or pain-in-the-butt DJ or a, f- a photographer blocks your shot, oh, man, these <laughs> these problems are so small Yeah. when you compare what other people are doing. Yeah. 
for work to support their families. Absolutely. What a great job to have. Yeah. We don't have the dirty jobs, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of dirty jobs out there. I've worked them. Tell me I some of the too. jobs you've worked. Uh, so the dirtiest job that I worked was a tile setter. I laid I laid ceramic uh, and stone, you know, tile on floors and walls. Uh, my dad actually is... Um, he owns a commercial tile installation company. So that was my first job was working for him laying tile. Uh, that was definitely the dirtiest job. I also worked for Pizza Hut. Uh-huh. I was a delivery delivery guy, which actually like, man, I, I, it was a short time, but I loved that job. <laughs> oh, I bet just, you've seen some things. Man, I, just, I just drove around and I was, you know, I was in high school. I drove around and ate pizza because people would cancel orders all the time you know so i ate pizza and wings for free uh. <laughs> and i got paid like after chips it was like 15 bucks an hour which for a high schooler man i was freaking lucky. oh yeah man and i was a good poker player at the time you know how much i was making in high school and we're probably not that different in age i was making yeah. five dollars 25 cents yeah well that was i mean that was minimum wage then but at pizza hut you know because you're getting tips you only got paid like 250 an hour yeah yeah mm-hmm. but with my tips, I was getting like 15 an hour, um, you know, but I was going to drive around, listen to music, eat free pizza, wear free cool wings. Hats. We got to wear a great hat, <laughs> snapback. Uh, but yeah, that was, those were like the two of the, I didn't work like too many, I didn't work too many jobs before I started working for myself because uh-huh. like even when I was a freshman freshman sophomore i don't know somewhere in that range in high school uh it was about when that you remember when the big uh tsunami hit sri lanka yeah that was in uh it was a massive deal that was in 2005 in, was it 2005 so i was a senior if i think it was, it was, two, then I was it's either 2004 to 2005 because it happened like right on christmas and yeah, okay. uh so 2004 well, 2005 2006 somewhere in there um either way I was a junior, senior in high school. The tsunami hit Sri Lanka. All these, you know, charity organizations popped up. I said, hey, it'd be cool to help out some people with that. Also at the time, my high school happened to come up with a brilliant idea to take all of the candy out of the vending machines and mm-hmm. replace them with healthy snacks. What the? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I remember that in uh, high school for sure. My buddy, uh, I was... I was a budding entrepreneur, and my buddy happened to have a Sam's Card membership. So I said, hey, let's go to Sam's Club, and let's buy a bunch of really cheap, good candy, mm-hmm. and let's put it in our oh, backpacks. We're going to on the black market. <laughs> we're going to sell it on the high school black market. <laughs> this was like my first like pure entrepreneurial mission here. And so we gave... Tell me you wore a trench coat with it inside. <laughs> I didn't, but I did wear like a messenger bag instead of a backpack. Like I had a separate messenger bag, you know, to sell it out of. But we gave 10% of our proceeds to the, you know, to Sri Lanka. Uh, but we had people who were ticked off addicts. They were like, oh, you should be giving all that money to them. I was like, hey, you know, well, how much have you given to Sri Lanka, you know? I just gave two hundred dollars to Sri Lanka, you know. Because and in Sri Lanka money, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot of money in Sri Lanka. Uh, but yeah, we were selling it. I was at one of these uh, campuses where it's like high school, junior high, elementary. So we would like go hang out outside the junior high, like when they're waiting for their parents to pick them up. Oh, that's tremendous. We'd sold a ton of candy out there, but uh, 
yeah, so that was my first like entrepreneurial venture that I had yeah, was great. selling money for the victims of the tsunami in Sri Lanka. <laughs> wow, good. Well, yeah, the first job I ever had, uh, you know, legitimate job that I would have to show up to. I, I did a lot of different gigs, of course, in high school. Uh, was working at Burger King. So yeah. You know, in high school, you get your parents, they tell you, you know, you're going to have to start making your own money if you want to buy your own stuff. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. So Burger King just opened. So I figured I'd get a job there. I had a couple of friends that are working there. $5.15 an hour. Uh, man, the boss was mean. You know, uh, I, I think some people think I talk condescendingly to them. Man, this boss was way worse. She was, <laughs> She's just like an evil old lady. And uh, What was her name? I have no idea. Oh, come on. Evil old lady. <laughs> so, you know, I'd show up to work. Man, I wanted to be amazing at my job. Worked hard while everyone else was goofing off. And, you know, uh, after two or three days, I'm like, man, I'm the only people making these Whopper Juniors. <laughs> everyone over there is, like, wasting time. That guy over there is eating chicken nuggets. <laughs> and plus, they made you pay for half of your meal, which yeah. is bogus because you should get a free meal. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I can't work here anymore. I'm working my butt off. You don't care. They don't care. So <laughs> how long did I, you work there? I was there for less than uh, less than two weeks. Yeah. And then I said I can't do this anymore because I'm working my butt off and nobody's paying attention. So I graduated myself to a dishwasher at Jr's restaurant, nice. which was just down the road, uh, washing dishes for you know six eight hours a day. Uh, it's not as bad as it sounds. I mean, you wear gloves. Yeah, there you go. But then from there, I, I worked my way up to the host and then to a server. There you go. And then uh, to a server at a different restaurant. And, yeah, you start to make good money as a server once yeah. in a while if you're polite and personable. And then uh, from there, I started working at uh, different retail places. Working retail is a treat. Uh, you know, I got the Cold Radio or? Shack in Circuit City oh, okay. and electronics. Uh, yeah, electronics. I loved electronics, yeah. man. I mean, I got a cell phone back in 2000 before most people had cell phones. Yeah, I thought I was the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> you probably were. <laughs> and then, uh, and then playing Pokemon on the side. Um, <laughs> then I worked as a telemarketer, and that's an awful job. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a life sucking man. Trying trying to go to school at the same time as being a telemarketer. How many of you out there get forty calls a day from telemarketers? Yeah, now I'm on the reverse end of that thing. (laughs) It's uh, Uh, the problem with telemarketers is that they call you and they just start talking as if you're not doing anything at all. Yeah, like and that's the thing is like busy. (laughs) You're a wedding filmmaker, so you got to answer the phone because it might be a good lead. You know, I answered a I answered a phone call today. And, you know, it was it was a Dallas area code, and it was somebody trying to sell me a freaking, you know, give me a loan for $250,000. I'm like, I don't Dang need it. a $250,000 <laughs> loan. But then five minutes later, I answered the phone again, same exact area code from Dallas. Sure. And it was a great lead for a corporate job that I'm, like, super pumped. I told you what, you little stuff. Thankfully, you know, I still answered the phone graciously. Man, I think I've had uh, three spam calls today. Uh, the they all want to sell me SEO. Yeah. it's uh, yeah. And they do it by, do you want like to verify your Google listing? <laughs> Either that or, are you interested in being the first page on Google? <laughs> 
Well, yes, I am. <laughs> I, I like to talk to those guys. And every time I talk to those guys, it's always the same shtick. Yeah. We can put you as the number one wedding photographer in Austin. <laughs> I'm a videographer. <laughs> I don't make photos. Uh, or uh, the, the worst one is those guys who are like, Hello, my name is John Smith, and I'm calling you from Windows Department. <laughs> You're what? Windows. <laughs> and I, uh, I drag those guys out, man. I, uh, uh, I keep them talking, and then uh, I put on some gay porn, put it on speakerphone, oh, no. go make myself a sandwich, <laughs> come back and see if they're there. It's a game. <laughs> But yeah, that's the that's the price you got to pay, man. If you're in business and your and your phone number is listed on the internet, yeah. it is going to be picked up by web crawlers and given to the bad guys. Yeah, price you got to pay. It is. I wonder if that'll ever stop. It'll never stop. I wanted to take a quick break here in the middle of the show to tell you about a new way that I'm saving thousands of dollars a year on music licensing. First of all. If you're new to making wedding films, you should know that you can't just pay 99 cents to iTunes and use that in your videos online. It's against the law. And you could face a heavy fine or even jail time. Yikes! So, until now, you've had to pay somewhere between $10 to $50 per song on average to get good music for your wedding films legally. And then, if you want to use that same song in a different video, you have to pony up the cash again! For some of you, this means paying well north of $5,000 a year in music licensing fees. So, what if you could get unlimited, amazing licensed music for your wedding films for only $135 a year? This is amazing! I used to spend that much just on one video. If you want to learn more, go to soundstripe.com or click the link on our website. And now, Soundstripe is offering 10% off to our listeners with the code WFA10. So again, go to soundstripe.com and use WFA10 to get 10% off of your full year of fantastic licensed music for your videos today. Not only that, but when you use code WFA10 at checkout, your purchase helps support the Wedding Film Academy to keep bringing you amazing free content to help you make better wedding films and run a more successful business. So... One of the things that is interesting about people in this industry is that there's this constant, we call it gas. You know what gas is? Is it gear acquisition syndrome? That's right, yeah. Adam has, a, Adam has a bad case of gear acquisition syndrome from my from my perspective. Oh, absolutely. But tell me about this. I don't this. deny that. Because I came to your, I was actually borrowing a camera from you uh, like a month or two ago. Yeah. And... I experienced a little bit of this when I walked into your house of yeah. the gear acquisition you know, system, if, syndrome that was going on there. So tell me about this. If you come into my house immediately before or after a shoot, <laughs> uh, it looks a little bit in disarray because I have to make sure that I have all my gear. If you look at my... Uh, there were like $8,000 cameras laying on the ground. Yeah, if you look at my Facebook <laughs> profile, you can see what my last gear gear post looked like. Now, I do buy a lot of gear. I mean, we shoot ceremonies with... Six different cameras, yeah, uh, all in 4K. So our two primary cameras are 1D, 1DX Mark IIs, yeah, and then our other cameras are GH5s or yeah. GH4. Right. G, uh, we can get them to match really nicely. GH5s are a little bit sharper than Canons, right? Um, 
which is fantastic for landscapes and uh, things of that nature. We prefer to use Canon for the close-ups of faces. Okay. Because it's not as detailed, a little bit softer, so it's a little more flattering uh, in terms of what we do. Yeah. So six cameras for a wedding shoot is a lot. Yeah. It's more than anybody uses. And we use it in a way that's not really... It's not obtrusive to the photographer. See, a lot of people would feel like, oh, my gosh, that's way over the top, Adam. What are you doing using six cameras? It is. Well, I want a close-up of the bride, a close-up of the groom. I want a, a camera that can shoot the audience members. I want a wide shot of everything. And I want a tight shot of the officiant's angle. And then the, the other angle is just used for the, uh, the aisle. Okay. Uh, and then it gets put away. But um, having lots of stuff to cut to makes it easy to cut around a, a photographer. And uh, the, the lenses true. that we use are the Sigma 120 to 300 lenses. Now, a crop you sensor. You said lenses. You we have got two, two of those. Oh, my gosh. And Jeez, then uh, <laughs> we got two of the 70 to 200s. If it's bright outside, we use the 50 to 500 Sigmas. Um, and we use that because existed. we want to move those really far back. Because as videographers, we we play second fiddle to a photographer right nine times out of well 99 times out of 100 and i want to make sure the photographer can get whatever they need without any disruption sure of a tripod and things of that nature so we buy very expensive lenses so we can do you put up those babies way back you like rack it all the way out no. if you can like so or... i usually give the uh, that one to a second shooter for audience reaction so they can pick people off from all portions of the you putting them on like a GH5 because it has the image stabilization on it? Like Man, that, it or? didn't before, but now it does. So there's image stabilization image stabilization on the 500, but uh, every time I hand that to him, I'm like, don't put it at 500. <laughs> I know it does that, yeah. but don't do it. Because yeah. people, you know, if they have it, they tend to try to do that. Fair enough. And uh, it's hard what to is, stay stable at 500. Is it like uh, It goes to 5.6 to 6.3. 6.3? Which okay. is respectable. So it's only good outside. No, that makes sense. Oh, it looks good. It's a good lens. I've I used like it the, a lot. I've used the Leica version of that yeah. lens, which is like 100 to 400, I think. Yeah. And yeah. Well, that doesn't have stabilization on it, though. It does. It does? Yeah, yeah. Because nice. I used it. I shot a, a Panasonic Let Me Borrow It, and I shot uh, some Formula One racing with it. Beautiful. And I was... This was before GH5. This yeah. was, I had... A GX85, which was image stabilized. Yeah. It's not as good as the GH5 stabilization, sure. but it was decent. Um, but yeah, I shot some stuff like handheld with that, racked out. And I was like, I was leaning on a rail, you know, but yeah. I was hand holding it. It's impressive. And it looked good. You know, it didn't, it didn't look like, it looked, you know, it looked monopod-ish. You know, it was not shaky at all, for sure. Um, so that has some crazy image stabilization, in it, but the GH5 took that to another level. I, mean, I, I like the crop on it for the auxiliary cameras because it allows you to punch in. And with yeah. the GH5, it's got an ex, extra telephoto conversion yeah, built in, for which sure. I use. Have That's terrific. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Now, in terms of my style, I love shooting telephoto. Yeah, I love it. It gives you a look that you can't get any other way. Right. Yeah, I got to drag around a. 15 pound camera and lens combo yeah but look at the videos you see some pretty stuff one of my yeah. favorite photographers also loves to shoot on telephoto christina carroll mm -hmm. gives her a quality that nobody else has yeah love it you know who What's else she shoots shooting with? well she shoots on uh, a 300 millimeter 2.8 yeah canon lens right. i use the sigmas because they're much less 
expensive. Does she use a monopod with that thing, or is she hand holding like a beast? I don't remember, but yeah. she is a beast, so yeah, she can uh, she gets it done. Nice. Um, but uh, in terms of Hollywood directors, people who shoot that way, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, Michael Bay, mayhem. Michael Bay uses the telephoto slow mo stuff to the nth degree. Yeah. And you know why he, lo- he uses it? Because it looks good. It does look good. Yeah, his good. storytelling ability is pretty crap. His but cinematography uses the same kind of shots yeah. all the time. But it works. People buy tickets. It looks amazing. People look amazing. The compression and the depth of field that you get from telephoto is yeah. just like, you know. You'll be pretentious if you say that you shoot wedding videos um, to make art. Yeah. You shoot shots. Use glide cams. Use sliders. Use drones. Only because it looks neat. Yeah. Not because it adds things to the story. Oh, yes. Oh, you're pushing in. It feels like you're entering <laughs> this. No, it just it looks cool. Yeah. It's the only reason you do it. For sure, yeah. It's the same reason Michael Bay shoots stuff in slow-mo with telephotos. It's because it looks neat. Yeah. Not, mm, there's no reason beyond that. Right. And that's why I like to shoot wedding videos with telephotos. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. For sure. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I... I I recently bought the Olympus 50 to 150. Yeah. Uh, 2.8. Sure. Which is pretty freaking gorgeous. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Panasonic guy. You guys know that. Uh, they sponsor me. But this lens is spectacular. And part of the reason I love it is just because I can get a 300 millimeter effective focal length at f2.8 in a lens that's less than six inches long. That's a huge deal. You know, it's, it's a massive deal. And so that has become... One of my primary, that's become like, you know, the shot that I know is like my go-to, like I need this shot to be gorgeous. Like usually it's shooting the bride's angle. Um, sometimes I'll put it on the groom depending on the wedding, but, um, you know, but I'll scoot that thing back and rack it out to 300 or, you know, 150 on the lens, but 300 equivalent. And that shot is gorgeous. It is, yeah. You know. Gives you that background separation. Yeah. And that's uh, it's one of the things that really separates professional-looking images from amateur ones is background separation. Yeah, and uh, sure. I tell my shooters this all the time, that there's, uh, there's three good ways that you can get that separation with your subject in the background. Uh, the first way is with shallow depth of field. Mm-hmm. If the background is blurry and your subject's in focus. Right gives you good separation the image looks good be the most obvious second one, yeah. way to do it is with color right so if you put like opposite colors a beautiful person with uh you know with caucasian pinkish skin in front of a blue wall right they look fantastic they stand out they pop off that screen those oranges and blues that's right yeah the third way that we like to do it is you do it with lighting right. so if the background is darker and the foreground is brighter, right, that separates them. Or with hair light, your hair light helps separate. I mean, you're looking at 2D images on a 2D screen. You got to invent some stuff to make the image have some depth, right? And people do not pay enough attention to that. To me, like that's one of like the things that people overlook the most when they're talking about cameras is they say you know they need the full frame camera because they have to have that kind of background separation well one if you're using the right lens on a smaller sensor camera like a gh5 like you can still get that look yeah look at a c300s for sure yeah it's absolutely. A super 35 sensor yeah it's exactly full frame. um but the other thing is there's other ways to create that separation exactly and for 
you know, what you're talking about, whether it's, you know, the fact that the the background of the sky, the blue sky is to infinity, but also it's that separation of color from yeah. the opposites of blue to orange, mm-hmm. like, you know, bringing in those opposites or whether it's the shadow to light difference that you're talking about when you're actually lighting your scenes, which is mm-hmm. something I, I try to preach on. Bring on lights podcast, to wedding skies. You have to light your scenes, you know, and there's, now, given that there's certain opportunities where you just don't have the opportunity to light your scene, I get that. Like, you know, if you're shooting audience reactions to a toast, like, you're probably not going to light that, and that's sure. okay. Like, you know, whatever. Um, but that also doesn't have to be the most beautiful shot in the world. But when you're shooting those moments like the toast, like the cake cutting, like the first dances, like all those moments, and even for me, like, I like, I'm starting to light a lot more of, like, the portrait scenes, mm-hmm. especially, like, sunset, because sure. I don't want my shot yeah, to, be a, have to be a silhouette. Yeah, yeah so... So anytime you can find those moments of separation, but if you're going to do this, which you should, you should light your scenes. Yeah. Please, please, please get the bicolor LEDs. You know. <laughs> yeah, you will get a whole list of photographers that will want to yes. shank you <laughs> if you bring a blue light into a tungsten environment. Yes. And uh, it's already bad enough because it's okay the wedding if they do halls, shank you. You, you know, deserve sometimes it. the wedding halls will match 56k and 32k with their lights. But when you start doing that to everything and, and it's your fault, then that's a whole other thing and you're going to lose a lot of referrals. And you're giving bad names to videographers and in turn bringing the whole industry down. That's a lot of responsibility yeah. that you have on your shoulders yeah. to try to be <laughs> And then we get all the people that complain to us because we're using lights. You know, the DJs or whoever who's going to complain to us. Yeah, I mean, it it's goes because the they same had a bad way. experience, you know. Photographers somewhere, some blog, some podcast somewhere said, you know, photographers should buy this video light to help light their detail shots. <laughs> and they don't know that they should get the bicolor ones either. Right. I don't see a lot of people running around with the blue light in a tungsten environment. Right. While I'm trying to shoot stuff and, oh, cake cutting. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Some photographers are experimenting with cake cutting and, boy, nothing, nothing like a shaky light that's the wrong color moving around while you're trying to get a good angle on the cake cutting. That's And the most common one now is that ice light. You know, yeah, the ice light. light. Yeah, the ice light only comes in one color. It's it's a beautiful light, but it only comes in one color. You know, I mean, and if you're trying to daylight balance it, it's great. But if you're not, who's the, who's the photographer balance, hero then, that told everyone to buy that? Yeah, the five hundred dollar. This is the knockoff version, which has like a, a gel Nuyo? that spins around. And have you tried the Young Nuyo? I just got this Young Nuyo uh, YN three sixty. Yeah, and it's the same thing, but you can dial in your exact color temperature. That's awesome. And you can choose between – I made this my pick of the week, so they've already, already heard this. But you can choose between blue, purple, red, yellow, green, in addition to your yeah. you know, your range of uh, you know 32 to 56 or all whatever the, it is. All the narrative cinematographers won't stop talking about the Kesar. <laughs> the Kesar yeah. wants to do the same thing. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think one of the reasons why photographers don't really pay attention to the white balance is because – I know a lot of people say, oh, I was shooting Kelvin. Yeah, sure you do. Okay, sometimes you do. <laughs> um, but flashes, most photographers do not gel their flashes. Almost none of them will gel their flashes. Right. So why would they gel their video light? They're not well, familiar the with it. Usually they're bouncing it, and then they're at the mercy, which is fine. Like, it's fine practice. I understand why you do it. But then you're at the mercy of what's the color of the ceiling. Sure, yeah. You know, I've shot in you know reception halls that had a red ceiling 
Yeah, and then everything's going to be red anyway. So right. Um, and it's uh simple enough to fix that stuff in post where it's not worth bothering with gels. Sure. Uh, and photographers have to pay attention to more of that stuff than, or I mean, videographers have to pay attention to that stuff because you can't fix the white balance in post. Right. You mess it up. You messed it up. Right. So There's uh, a little bit you can do, but once you start doing that, then the image starts getting. I think you could probably move it. I don't know, maybe ten thousand Kelvin yeah. Yeah. before everything just falls apart, and that's when some videographers just say, "Well, damn it, I'm just gonna make this clip black and white," <laughs> which. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't quite work for video. I've seen people do it, though. I have seen people do it with varying degrees of success. No, no. There's no success. Don't do it. It makes it look you know, like one of those cheap infomercials that uh yeah, I mostly agree. I saw one guy who, like, his style, like, he actually brings, it's his, I don't like it, but he makes it work for him. Uh-huh. Like, he mixes in, you know, his, his digital footage with Super 8 footage. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Uh, but he's also throwing in random footage that you know just looks black and white. Yeah, and, and you know he does it with great success. Like, he's doing he, it with intent, you know, as opposed to for sure to and cover up he your is, goofs. He's an artist, and I still I don't again I don't really care for his videos, but they are quality. You know he's doing great work with it, um, so it it can be done with success. Sure, but uh, for the most part, yeah. Don't turn your videos black and white. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody does videos differently. Uh, and Jordan and I were just talking about this before we got kicked right. straight out of this pub. Is um, how it's, it's difficult for brides and grooms to understand all the different styles of video. Right. Now, photos, you can clearly see what the different styles of photos are just by sure. one or two or three frames. Yeah. But um, when you're shopping videographers, some videographers make a montage musical montage right most videographers i hate to demystify this for everybody they pick two songs (laughs) lay them out on the timeline and then drop in a couple of anchor audio clips and then uh cover it all else with b-roll and beauty shots sure uh some videographers just make a musical montage of the whole thing right and just jump cut from beginning to end and if you can do that, make a good living from it. Like more power to you because you can do that. You should be able to do that in three to four hours. Absolutely, everybody has a different style. Yeah. And um, I just joined this wonderful group, Full Time Filmmakers, which is being run by Parker. And Parker is from I was Utah. Watching a video from him earlier today. Actually. Yeah. He's a, oh funny. man, he's good with his glide cam, son. Yeah. He uh, he got to work alongside the Devin Supertramp. Some gorgeous footage. Um, and picked up some tips from him, no doubt. But uh, temple weddings in Utah. You know, you can't film the ceremony. Right. So the nature of the beast out there is that it is a musical montage from beginning to end. Beauty shots from beginning to end. There's no real story. Parker's beauty shots are gorgeous. He knows how to work that thing. He He uses a 1DX Mark II. Sometimes he uses a Red red Epic to fill in the gaps. And uh, he knows how to get flattering shots. He does. And that works completely. He can get high-end weddings, top-dollar stuff by doing that. Here comes that train. Yeah, sorry. You're going to hear a train in the background again. We are in downtown Round Rock, one of the uh, the beautiful suburbs here of Austin, Texas. But it has the added benefit of having a very loud train that runs through it. That's why we have the minor league baseball team, the Round Rock Express, which I'm a big fan of. I like going to these games. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. All those games are fun. All those... Uh, Randrock Express, probably half the team is made up out of Dominicans. <laughs> it is. And, but the other cool thing is, like, as a, as a Texas Rangers fan, a guy who grew up in Dallas, yeah. 
the other half moves back and forth between the Round Rock Express and the Texas Rangers, you know, because yeah. they're, uh, you know, they're at the top end of the minor leagues. So. Well, they got a big statue of Nolan Ryan right out in front of the Dell. That's my boy. Complex. That's my boy, Nolan. Well, Del, uh, Nolan Ryan, I think, used to live in Round Rock Did before he, he uh, moved up north. Well, there's your Round Rock trivia of the day. My girlfriend tells me that our bank, letter R, uh, is owned by Nolan Ryan. Really? But uh, huh. don't quote me at that because, generally speaking, I'm only half listening to anything she ever tells me. Uh-oh. Uh, but, well, I uh, hope you're not listening <laughs> to this, Jennifer. <laughs> um. The point of that previous story is that, depending on your market, the style of videography could be vastly different. Yeah, that's so you can't, true. You can't possibly compare the stuff that Parker does with his wedding films to the stuff that Penn Weddings does sure. with their films. Because yeah, theirs are, but those are based exclusively on storytelling and proper audio. You're right. They, uh, they ask the bride to tell the story of the engagement. They ask the groom to tell the story of the engagement. And then they cover it up with beauty shots. Right. There's very little montage in what they do. Even right. if they pick a couple songs to tie it all together. Right. It's a very clear story. And you get a chance to know the couple. Yep. You know what you know what their attitudes are like. You know what their personalities are like. And that's why they're some of the top videographers in the nation. And that's why I love, I love having Sarah and Rick on the show because they are just, they are master storytellers in my opinion, you know, and... Uh, and I, and probably in most of your if you haven't if you haven't checked them out like first go back and listen to their episode that we did on story on the storytelling series uh, but second then go watch their films because they are spectacular I just posted to Sarah the other day I was like she posted a video and I was I told her I need to spend a day and do nothing but watch your films because they are fantastic <laughs> she and and Rick as well are just incredibly talented that's right and then another style of videographer um i feel that um some of the east coast videographers film in this fashion which i tend to call perfume ad wedding videos (laughs) where they all look like over the top cinema over the top like some of the shots don't really have anything to do with the wedding day oh but they look cinematic so we're going to put them in there yeah that has its own market too that's true. Oh, yeah. top dollar weddings come from that stuff. That's true. Which sometimes you don't ever get a good feeling of what the bride and groom are like because you're too busy watching this sweeping telephoto glide cam cinematic slow motion 4K of the bride. Highly graded. Of the bride thing. and a camel walking down the you know, Yeah, the desert like or I still have no idea who <laughs> these people are. But uh, every wedding video style is different. And because because couples are looking for different things, you know, there's going to be those couples who are like, I just want this to look gorgeous because, you know, that's that's my desire. That's what I want. And then there's going to be other couples. And these are, you know, the couples who I'm trying to attract are the ones who they want their story told. You know, I I tell people this. I I did uh, a number of years ago. I. I did my master's degree. I actually went to went to seminary, so completely outside of this field. But one of the things I studied most was what keeps communities together when there's conflict. Because there's conflict in relationships, there's conflict in any type of community. And so I was just sort of interested in this idea of what keeps people together when there's these big conflicts. And one of the things I learned was that 
the biggest thing that keeps people together was the reminder of why they were drawn together in the first place. And so for me, like that's what making wedding films is all about is capturing and creating this reminder for this couple of why were we drawn together in the first place? So that when we go through all the crap that life brings us and the conflict that we're inevitably going to have as a married couple, we can come back to this core reality of this is why we were drawn together in the first place. And this brings us back together. And I've had couples who've told me, in fact, I just had one uh, text me the other day that they want me to take uh, some maternity photos for them, but I didn't even do their photography. I only did their video. Um, But she's told me on multiple occasions just so you know, your wedding film has saved my marriage. And to I me, sometimes like, tell myself that story. I'm like, I'm doing God's work, <laughs> saving marriages with this. Exactly. You we have are, to color correct and stabilize that shot. <laughs> oh, we are, uh, we are what, marriage counselors in addition to wedding filmmakers. But I do feel like, to me, like that's what is so rewarding about the work that I do is realizing that I'm capturing the essence of why they're making this decision to commit to each other for life. And to me, like that's a beautiful and noble cause and something that keeps me driven. And telling people this before they book you, it's the hardest part Mm. to explain to people. This is what a video does that photos can't do. Well, that's what I've tried to do. Like in my sales meetings, you know, when I'm on the phone with someone, one is I, I never send out I, I put starting at price which you know I try to make low enough so that I can get in the door for conversations for people to say okay I'm willing to spend more because when I can get on the phone or in person with someone then I can explain some of these things to them and they're going to begin to see the value in this far beyond what they were imagining spending before mm-hmm. and to me like having those conversations early on in the process ends up getting me a lot more work at higher prices Uh by having that conversation and helping the couple understand the incredible gift that I'm going to be giving to them when it's all said and done that goes far beyond what the photographer can do for them. It's hard not to be proud of your work. And some people who book even my most expensive packages, they come to me and say, I don't want my vows in there. I don't want my this in there. (laughs) like... Why? Why did you fuck me? <laughs> yeah. All right, but um, no, that's true, and that's part of the reason why I like video so much more than photos. And I do, I do right. plenty of photos. I just don't do really that many wedding photos, right? Unless I'm specifically asked for it. Um, it's because the best photo in the world cannot give you that big of emotional reaction unless Absolutely. you explain the story behind that photo. There was a there was a photo recently on. Um, uh, Facebook that was going viral about a couple who had this expression on their face. But it's meaningless until you read the paragraph that explains what that photo is about. Yeah. However, I can park you in a chair and play 60 seconds of a video and yep. have everybody bawling their eyes out Absolutely. because of that emotional connection. That's what I love about video. Yep. It's because it can promote emotion, laughter, uh, happy tears, yeah. uh, things of that nature. Yep. And that's just in weddings. Right. And uh, that's, that's the magic about it. And then what you were talking about, about how uh, there's a responsibility to making good wedding films. 
that can remind you about why this couple fell in love in the first place. Or, heaven forbid, after a father or mother passes away, yep. you have them telling an entire room full of the people you love most how proud they are of you. With their own face and in their own voice, not in written text. You know, it's so much more powerful through the audio and the visuals. How much value would you would you give something if a stranger came to you on the street and said, I have a video of your grandparents falling in love, getting married, <laughs> and beautiful 4K resolution, high-quality video. Yeah. How much would you buy it for? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a gift for sure. No joke. And at the same, on the same token, um, it's important... When you're doing this video and you're getting angry because a shooter missed a shot or the coordinator never told you the toasts were starting or <laughs> a photographer blocked the shot of the first kiss, you have to also remind yourself why you got into wedding videos. Yeah. Because you didn't want to be sitting at that uh, at the job selling insurance or yeah. whatever else you were doing. Laying tile. Yeah, I sold insurance. Now, selling insurance, I actually learned a heck of a lot about sales. Yeah, I bet. It was valuable. Um, Every job that I have is a value to me of some sort. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, another step. Even if it's just something else. Even if it's just the motivation of, I don't ever want to do that again. Sure. You know, that's that's motivation. Use that. Remind yourself about why you are doing these videos. Yeah. And even though we've done hundreds of weddings, the wedding we're shooting today, is probably the couple's very first, maybe only wedding that they're ever going to have. And you have to put full effort into giving them the best product they can possibly have. That's our philosophy yeah. for Adam Grumble Films. Is Even if this video is the only video anybody ever sees and judges our work upon, I want it to be something that they can say, wow, that guy really, really cares about what he does. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And I see that in your films. That's because they don't post the crappy ones. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I've had my... I've, in fact, I posted in the wedding videographers group on Facebook the other day. I was like, I hope none of you ever see the work that I'm about to send to this client right now because <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to see that. Yeah. Um, Adam, we're, we're a little bit over an hour here. So do you have... I always do a pick of the week, and I'll put you on the spot. I forgot to tell mm-hmm. you in advance, which I have a habit of doing this. But you have you have gas, like mm-hmm. uh, like nobody's business, right? You have gear yeah. acquisition syndrome. So can you give me a pick of the week, something that right now is making your life easier or something that you could give as motivation to someone for making better wedding films? In terms of gear or in terms it of – uh... It could be gear. It could be anything, really. I mean – We've had people who have used a movie that inspired them. So it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have to think about this for a second. There's a lot of movies that have inspired me lately. Um, I'm going to do one while you movies. think about it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so I just finished a book by Gary Vaynerchuk. It's The Thank You Economy. Yeah, I know that book. Okay. It's yeah, a great, it's a great it book. a couple times. And I feel like... There's, a, there's a, a lot I'm taking from it, particularly for my volume brand that uh, I talked about last week. But, uh, you know, I think that the, the pieces I've learned about 
what he's doing, the importance that he's placing on on social media, you, you know, I think that's kind of like for a lot of people, like that's kind of the last dish effort, the last kind of thing that we think about um, is is really reframing for me the way that I'm thinking about marketing this company that I have, you know, and so I would I would just strongly encourage you. If you're if you are a podcast junkie like I am, then you should start checking out some audiobooks too because you know they're going to give you much better, well thought out content than I'm going to give you here in a podcast uh-huh. um, because a lot of times we're flying by the seat of our pants. But that's why I like having other people on the show is because I can gain from their insight. You know who really does that? Thank you, economy stuff. Who's that? Will Harrington. Uh, Photo House Films. Yeah. Man, he's doing like beautiful portraits of all the people that helped him get to where he was. Awesome. And I don't know if it's uh, inspired by Gary Vee or whatnot, but since you mentioned that, I'm going to give you a book that everybody listening to this podcast needs to download okay. or purchase immediately. Um, somebody turned me on to this book in the Full Time Filmmakers group. Uh, it is called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Okay. Um, and what it discusses is how you should never forget where you came from. Mm. Don't get too proud of yourself. Yeah. And don't get too chasing all of that attention um, that we can all get caught up in. Yep. Look what I did. Why isn't enough? Why aren't enough people looking at me telling me mm. how great I am? Um, and I've listened to this thing twice in the past week, and I'm going to try it probably a third time to really capture the um some more of the, the 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 smaller pieces of it but for people who watch somebody who's new to the industry post something that looks looks like they're new to the industry bite your tongue you don't have to point out all the things that you know to prove how smart you are to everybody else share what you've learned um that can help them become a better videographer a better business owner uh, a better member of a wedding community so that everybody can really get along with each other. Great book. Again, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. What a, what a great book. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. Uh, so we do have one listener question. This comes from Matt from Dallas. And uh, he, he asked this very interesting question of you, Adam. He says, um, again, if you're... Sometimes when I'm even watching a movie, I forget the names of the people. So Adam is Adam Grumbo. And Matt asks, does Grumbo like gumbo? Does Grumbo like gumbo? So a little bit of background information about my name, Adam Grumbo. Um, (laughs) My heritage is Chippewa Indian from Minnesota. And before that, it was uh, the First Nations in Canada. Uh, My name was originally... Uh, well, not maybe originally, but before it was Grumbo, it was Grambois. So apparently one of those Indians uh, fell in love with a French person back in the day, <laughs> and they probably switched it to Grumbo to make it easier easier to pronounce when they came into the States. So you're not from Louisiana? Then. No, from Louisiana. Oh, man. I go to Louisiana a lot because it's Mass right next door here to Texas. First time I went to Louisiana, I had to try some of that gumbo. Boy, did I not like it. So, no. Okay, jambalaya? Cool. Mm, jambalaya, I can take. There you go, Matt. Uh, Grumbo. Grumbo does not like gumbo. <laughs> like gumbo. There's a restaurant here in Austin called Gumbo's. That's a good restaurant. Okay. It's really good. So, he likes gumbos, but not gumbo. 
<laughs> Only in the plural, Matt. Thank you for your question. <laughs> Since this was the pub chat, I figured I would throw in a ridiculous question like that. Adam, if our listeners want to go somewhere to find out more about the work that you're up to, where should we send them? You know, I'm putting most of my stuff on uh, YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram, but uh, probably Facebook and Instagram are the two easiest places to find out what I've been up to. Instagram.com slash grumbofilms and FB dot com slash grumbo films well you don't have to type out the whole facebook if you don't want to uh facebook.com slash grumbo that's films. good to know i didn't even realize that i know fb they own it too that's good to know fb.com slash grumbo films awesome well thanks for coming on again adam i really appreciate it it's been fun hanging out with you you know if anybody has any questions about what i do or how i do it or how i got to any different places feel free to drop me a line i'm uh, very welcome to uh, tell you what gear i use what lenses i use and how i color corrected it very happy to share so thanks for listening guys awesome well thanks again for tuning in if you haven't yet please do uh send us a review on itunes it helps me to know what's going on uh what you guys think about the show but also helps boost the ratings so that more people can see this because we want to continue bringing you great content every week and that would just be a great help so if you've gained some awesome insight from these episodes and you've done it for completely free, then quit being a freeloader and at least give me a review on iTunes. Sure would appreciate it. I'll do it. Here comes the train again. Here comes the train again. All right, thanks again, guys. Y'all have an awesome one. Get out there and do some movie magic. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.